I am glad to see you. I'm telling you, it was colder here. I mean, I really feel kind of manly this morning. You ladies should feel manly. I mean, no, excuse me. I, uh, it was colder here, the weather said, than it was at the stinking North Pole. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Colder in Detroit, Michigan. My mama said, honey, you must be called by God to stay up there. I want you to stand with me one more time. I want to pray, and um, I'm starting a brand new series today. We just finished the series on friendship. God friended me. And I hope that if you missed, I know we had some terrible weather in January. If you missed that, that you will go back. You really need to listen, encourage your friends, share those messages, especially the one, the last one I did on building friendships. And take it from somebody that's by nature an introvert. Those principles I shared with you on building friendships, they really work. They have helped me immensely, tremendously in meeting people and getting to know people. But today we want to start a series on power. I'm taking this from Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to talk to you today about the power of habit. I'm going to talk to you later in the month about the power of presence, the power of presentation. And we'll talk about the power of the Holy Spirit at the end of this series. And that last Sunday, I want you to be praying with me. And I asked you last week to write down the names of four or five people that you didn't, that you knew weren't serving Christ. Begin to pray for them. People who maybe you know that really are in need of God's intervention in their life right now. And just begin praying daily for them. And as you do, it is, you'll find that when you talk to Jesus about people long before you talk to people about Jesus, you'll find their hearts to be much more open. You'll find them willing to listen. And what I hope to do in this series, and I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish in us, is help us to discover those habits, the power that they have, to help us become the passionate followers of Christ that we want to be. And so as we begin this today, we begin it on a, a weekend where many in our nation are rightfully so grieving. We prayed here last night in our second Saturday prayer service for our nation. Such intercession for our nation last night because of the blindness and the hardness that has taken hold of so many hearts. It's the same blindness and the same hardness that 400 years ago made it legal to own and beat people and enslave them. We celebrate Black History this month because we came to terms with the barbarism of that. And my prayer is that somehow or another that one more time God will move in America and help us to see the utterly barbaric way that we're treating the unborn child. And just as some people used to celebrate slavery and say it was right and legal, we've gone way beyond what President Clinton said back in the 90s when he said, I personally don't support abortion, but I support a woman's right to make it safe, legal, and rare. Friends, you don't give the devil an inch. He'll take a mile. Sin will take you places you never intended to go. Sin will keep you in places much longer than you intended to stay. And sin will cause you to do things you never thought would happen. And as a young ministerial student in the 70s, I can remember the debate about abortion 
and people saying it would never, ever, ever come close to what it is today. You can't give the devil an inch. You just can't. And so I want you to pray that not only will there be a revival, but that Christians will begin to practice the habits that God called us to. So will you join me in prayer right now? Lord, being a preacher isn't enough to make a passionate follower of Christ. We need the whole church. We need those in the nurseries, the children's ministries, and youth ministries, our extension ministries. Lord, our elder care ministries. Lord, our outreach ministries, our homeless ministries. God, our missions in every place. We need people, Lord, who understand the power of the Holy Spirit and practice daily those habits that make us successful. Lord, that will make us the salt and the light of a culture that you have said that we are. And I pray that if any, Lord, are thinking that somehow or another the church is not salt and light, that when they look at woodland, God, they're going to see something different. That there is a preserving, purifying effect of our presence that doesn't come because of who we are, but it's because of who you have made us to be by your grace. And I pray that we'll also be light, Lord, not because, again, of who we are, but because you live within our hearts and you give us the ability to build up and to encourage and to strengthen, but you also give us the ability, Lord, to love, not as the world loves, Lord, with a fickleness, but to love, Lord Jesus, right down to the bitter end. And so I'm praying now for that that only you can do for a pastor and a congregation. Would you grant that anointing to all of us as we study your word together? You have said that it's by the foolishness of preaching that you have chosen to save the lost. The Apostle Paul wrote that my preaching was not with eloquent words, but with a demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I pray, Holy Spirit of God, manifest your power deep within our hearts. Lord, manifest your power any way you choose in this place I pray today. And I ask this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. One verse of scripture and you may be seated. In Acts the second chapter in verse 42, all the believers, all the believers, not 50% of them, not 30% of them, they just destroyed the Pareto principle where 20% of the people do 80% of the work where 20% of the people give you 80% of the results where 20% of the people give the resources they destroyed the Pareto principle all the people all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals including the Lord's Supper and to prayer Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm looking forward to this message this morning. Now, don't you lie. <laughs> I'm looking forward. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat>
Well, <clears throat> I have three really, really great days of the year. My favorite day of the year is Christmas Day. My second favorite day of the year is the opening day of Georgia football. My third favorite day of the year is Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> Guess what I'm going to be doing tonight? Eat fried chicken, you better believe it. Lots of it. It's my, one of my favorite days of the year. And Tom Brady has earned the respect, even if you don't like him, Tom Brady has earned the respect, not because he married a beautiful woman named Gazelle, but he's married, he's, he's earned the respect of all of his competitors because he is a man that's never been satisfied with success. I was listening to First Things First on Fox Sports recently, and there's somebody asked uh, Mark Slareth, he asked him, he says, how remarkable is Tom Brady's run? And Slareth, who played for 12 years, he said, you know, the impressive thing to me is, is that Brady continues to prepare, prepare, prepare. He continues the daily grind. Mark goes on to say, if Brady's quote is, if you want to beat me, you better be ready to lose your life because I've already given up mine. He said, the one thing that I learned, his former, the backup quarterback from, for Tom Brady, said, the one thing I've learned that being a quarterback, it's not a job, it's a life commitment. And you've got to be willing to commit your life to it. He says, every day, Tom wakes up and says to himself, how can I be the best quarterback for this organization? Every day, wakes up and says, how can I be the best quarterback for this organization? He said, for me, that means exercise. It means hydration. And it's not just Sundays. It's Monday through Saturday. Tom says, that's the problem, is that you've got to do it Monday through Saturday so you're prepared for Sunday. He said, there are days when I just don't want to prepare anymore. And if I could just show up for Sundays, that would be great. But he says, if I don't want to go through the grind, I won't be ready for Sunday. And I thought about that comment, especially knowing what I was going to be preaching on today, and thought to myself, what would happen if every single one of us woke up and said to the Lord every single day, Lord, how can I be the very best passionate follower of Christ there is? God, how can I love you more today? How can I serve you better today? If we looked at our wives, guys, and we said to ourselves, how can I love my wife better? Or maybe even ask her, and this is a dangerous question, trust me on this, what can I do to show you today that I love you? First words out of her mouth typically start with clean up something, you know? And so it's a dangerous thing to say, but you say to your wife, you know, what can I do to show you that I love you today? And you ask yourself, how can I be the best dad? And all of those questions just line up with being, how can I be the very best passionate follower of Christ that there is? And it comes, as Brady says, it comes through developing the right kind of habits, the daily habits that we do that you, you don't even think about. They're just as automatic as breathing. They're just as automatic as eating. We've got one of our staff members who I won't name, but he is just as regular. I can set my clock by his meal schedule because at a certain time every day, it's just such a habitual part of him. His work's ready. He's done. He takes the break. He eats. He comes back. And I have often teased him. I know what time it is just by the fact that you're going out of your office because of your commitment to, to good nutrition and the way that you eat. There's a real worry right now about some of the habits that our devices are causing us to make. 
And I left my iPhone over there, so let me, thank you, Rick, if you'll just hand it to me. I, I don't want to knock this because I s- said this last week. Thank you, sir. I, um, I appreciate the devices. They've made me more productive. They've helped me to stay in touch with people better. I can't say how grateful that I am for the devices that are in our lives, but for me, they're tools. They're not life-controlling, but there's a real concern. The lady who heads up the philanthropic arm of Facebook, she was Mark Zuckerberg's personal assistant, but now she heads up their, their charitable arm. She will not even allow her children to have a smartphone or a telephone until they are in high school. And she says, because they're so addictive and the way apps are designed, they're designed to create and addict you. And she used that word, addict you to the phone. In a study that I read, we touch our phones. Listen to this. We touch our phones if we have these. An average in America of 2,617 times a day. That's taps, clicks, and swipes upon our telephones. An average of 2,617 times. Now, that's the average. The heaviest users of our phones tap or touch or swipe them 5,427 times a day. Can you imagine? It's how addictive that these things have become into our lives. And somehow or another, it's interrupted our conversations, it's interrupted our meal times, it's interrupted our family times, it's interrupted business meetings. You get into places, and how many times has it happened to you that you're, you're at a luncheon and you've just become so, you don't even realize it, but as soon as you hear the ping, as soon as you hear the ding, as soon as you get the tone or the message, you just automatically reach for that phone because you got to know who just texted you. Or during the day, you got to see how many emails that you've gotten. Or if you posted something on Facebook, as somebody recently was telling me here in our congregation, says, I just love seeing how many likes that I get on Facebook. And I didn't say this at that moment because you're here this morning, but I will tell you what the, the, the motive behind that is, is we get addicted to that because they know we want to see those likes. And so we're constantly checking. And now these devices are such a part of our lives that we don't go anywhere without them anymore. We don't feel like we can do anything without them. One of my favorite authors, Andy Crouch, that I've recommended to you before to read. As a matter of fact, he just wrote a book called The Tech-Free Family. And don't let the title fool you. They're not completely tech-free, but they really monitor their use of technology. But Andy's talked about how he did not realize how much the phones were controlling a major part of his and his family's life and their family time. He says how that they're enjoying better family time. They're, he and his wife are enjoying a better marriage relationship. Their children are reading. They're playing games again now that they've set some strict limits. So I would recommend that book to you called The Tech-Free Family by Andy Crouch. It all begins with habits. Habits are just such an instinctive part of our lives. We have them whether we recognize it or not. Animals have them. It's not just instinct. When they tore down the Iron Curtain, which was literally a fence through Germany, when they tore it down because of years of herds of red deer, of the way they migrated because of the fence and they passed things along through memory, There are herds of red deer in what used to be East Germany that will not cross over into West Germany, and there are herds of red deer, same identical species, that will not cross over into East Germany because it has become so inbred, 
And they've got tracking collars on these huge herds of deer, and it's all a natural preserve that even though these deer have been born since the wall came down, they still will not cross that line. And when I read that article in a science magazine, I thought to myself and clipped it. Matter of fact, you don't ever want to leave a magazine around me that you want because if I find an article in the doctor, I just rip it out and I go up and say, I'll be happy to pay for this. They've never charged me yet. But if I find it and I like it and I think it's going to help me, it's coming out of there. So don't leave a magazine where I can get a hold of it. And that's just from that recently just happened. It's just a keeper. But these deer, they won't cross the line. And so many of us, we wonder why does these patterns, why do these things keep happening in our lives? It's because of these habits that we have that we've never even thought about. Jesus is interesting to me to study his habits because Jesus was accused of having some very bad habits. I mean, Jesus was accused of having the wrong kind of habits. And Jesus began new habits that he taught to us that the religious people of his day said were bad habits. One of those habits was you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath day or on the Jewish day of worship, which was Saturday. You weren't supposed to light a fire. You weren't supposed to cook a meal. And you were just supposed to rest and worship. And one day Jesus is at the temple and and somebody needs to be healed. And so one Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. And the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. How many of you know there a lot of people watching you closely. The moment you say that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, there are people watching you all the time. I'm telling you from experience, they're always watching you. So they're watching you, and they watched him, and if he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? What a simple question. Absolutely the law was to save life. Absolutely the law was to give life. That was the whole purpose and the intent of the law. It was to be liberating, but they had twisted God's law to make it mean what they wanted to mean. Make a long story short, Jesus heals the man And you would think at the miracle, they would have been astounded. You would think at the miracle of a man with a deformed and withered hand that they would have given God the glory. But instead, at this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. You see, those new habits that Jesus gave us, they were to love one another as God has loved us. They were to love God with our hearts, whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. They were to be in the world without letting the world get inside of us. They were to love lost people. I mean, let's be honest. We just finished a series on friendship, and we talked about two famous tax collectors. These guys were thugs. These guys beat people up. These guys would have had people in prison. These guys would have lied in order to padded their pockets. They were mafia kind of guys. And Jesus befriended them, went into one of them's homes, spent the night, had dinner with him, came out next day, and the man was transformed. Jesus 
allowed prostitutes to touch him and he reached out and loved them. And let's be honest, these were real hookers. They sold their bodies for sex. Jesus talked with people that you were never supposed to talk with, like the, like the Samaritan woman. Jesus said to her in the heat of the day because she came out to the well in the heat of the day instead of the cool of the morning and the cool of the evening because the other women would have scorned her and mocked her, didn't want anything to do with her. Probably, we're not for sure, but probably the reason the woman had been married so many times was because she was infertile. She couldn't have children. And because of that, the Jewish law had been twisted because of the hardness of their hearts. They could put away a wife for any reason they wanted to. So, the most important thing for a woman in those days was to bear a child. A woman who was considered infertile was considered cursed by God or not blessed. And so, she had been dumped over and over. And finally, she's living with a man. And Jesus reaches out to her. Jesus loves her. Jesus changes her life. She goes back and reaches a whole town. And you would think the disciples would go, go, God, that's Jesus. That's the way to do things. Instead, they were stunned. They were shocked. Not only was she a woman, but she was a Samaritan. That's just a bad habit to have, Jesus. You want to hang out with the good people. Hmm? You ever been told, you know, you want to hang out with the right crowd. You want to hang out with this crowd. It seems like Jesus, he just had all kinds of ways of doing things that just made people angry. But what Jesus was doing was he himself was learning new habits. He had been raised. He had been dedicated in the temple. He had been raised by dedicated parents. He went to the temple at the age of 12. He astounded the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests with the wisdom as a 12-year-old boy. He observed the ritual washings. He observed the sacrifices with his parents. But suddenly, after his baptism, Jesus begins to teach and to show people what God is really like. And Jesus himself begins to practice these habits, and then he teaches the church to practice these habits. You see, friends, habits are important because habits are what we do without even thinking about them. Oswald Chambers, and many of you have read his book, My Utmost for His Highest. Oswald Chambers wrote this, and if you'll follow along with me on the screen, God does not give us our habits, but He holds us responsible in proportion for the habits we form. Now, I wish that we had room in your outline to put this, because I would have you underline that God does not give us our habits, but He does hold us responsible in proportion, and that is important, in proportion for the habits we form. For instance, God does not hold a child born in the slums responsible in the same degree for its habits as He does a child born in a Christian home. For instance, the child in the slum, Jeanette, is not going to be held to the same accountability as Braden and Ella would be held. It's not held to the same accountability that, for instance, you would be held, Zach, because you've been raised and taught in a home and cared for and loved and shown the right way. You grew up in church. You were part of Bible quiz. You were part of being taught things. And some of these children that I have sat with in the slums and some of the children that I have gone into their dormitories and sat on their beds with them and played games with them, they don't know the things. For instance, just keep the quote up there. A little girl named Kitty. Kitty was pimped off by her mother 
from the earliest days when she could be pimped off and Kitty was a wildcat and they showed me pictures of her when she first went into the dormitory that this church helped build for her and I held Kitty in, in my lap and played with her but Kitty had been pimped off and had just a horrible lifestyle and she came, she would claw your eyes out but God's amazing grace through the love of, of an orphanage that we help sponsor, through the love of people like yourself giving to missions, through the love of this church of building a clinic and building a church in her community. She was reached for Jesus Christ. Her mother was reached for Jesus Christ, but because her mother was owned by a cartel, her mother literally gave Kitty to us to raise and to care for. And friends, today Kitty is a young woman. She is in high school. She is a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. She did not have the advantages that you had, perhaps growing up in church or Zach that you had or Braden and Ella had but God has changed her and she's had to learn a whole new life she's had to learn how to relate to men differently she's had to learn how to relate to women differently I'm telling you God does not put the habit in you but you have to respond to the grace that God gives you well give him a hand of praise you've got to respond to the grace God gives you so Chambers goes on, listen to this. The fact remains, however, that we form our own habits. God gives us a new disposition. That's new life he's talking about. But he gives us some, nothing in the shape of character. Read this last sentence with me. We have to work out what God works in, and the way we work it out is by the process of habit. See, Pastor why is habit so important? Because habit frees us to focus. Good habits, and you might want to write this down on the side of your outline. Good habits free us to focus because we don't even have to think about what we're going to do. For instance, I have a habit in my life. I have triggers to help activate that habit in my life. First thing when I wake up in the morning, First thing I do, I've done it for years, I wake up, I, I just swing immediately, I refuse to hit the sloth button. I want you to change the name of the snooze button, sloth button. Okay? Now listen to me. The snooze button is called the... One more time. The snooze button is called the... Nobody here wants to be a sloth. Nobody here wants to be a sluggard, okay? The Bible doesn't have good things to say about the sluggard, so you've got to change the name. Because what happens is you hit that sloth button, and you go back into a deep sleep. And so it goes off again. You slap it one more time, and you go off into a deep sleep again. You hit it one more time. And finally, when you just know you're going to get fired if you don't get up and get to work on time, you know that you're not doing right when you don't get to church on time, you hit that sloth button, you finally you get up and you get up cranky, you get up groggy, it's because you keep going back into that deep sleep. But if you set a habit of going to bed at the same time, getting up at the same time, soon you'll get up, you'll swing your head over the, I'm not your head, but your feet over the bed and you'll say, good morning. Morning, Lord, instead of saying, oh, Lord, it's morning, you'll wake up and say, God, I, I want to be the best Christian today possible. I want to love Becky better today than I've ever loved Becky. I want to love my children better. You're forming a habit. You get out of the bed, and it makes your coffee taste better. It makes your shower better. It makes life better. Somebody say amen this morning. And it just becomes habitual. You, you don't even think about it. 
You just do it. I, when I go downstairs, I got a big quart mason jar because somebody here at the church found out I drank a quart of water every morning with lemon juice in it. So they went and bought me a real nice quart. Makes me feel like the redneck that my come from family I come from. And I fill my redneck jar up. I drink it with a teaspoonful of lemon juice. I sit down then with the best coffee in the world. You know what that is. And I open my Bible and my journal. It's habitual. It starts my day. It's the only way to go. It frees you to focus upon the things that really matter instead of saying, okay, where's my Bible? Where's my glasses? Where's my, I got to find a pen. You set everything out. It frees you to focus. Secondly, it protects what's most important in your life. Good habits protect those things that are important to you. Protects your marriage. It protects your relationship with God. It protects your family. It protects your career. When you form good habits, you you're the kind of person that people depend upon because you're there. In other words, you're not having to remember to do the same thing over and over and over. I don't have to remember how to start my day in the office. When I walk into the office, I never have to ask, what do I have to do today? I've got three women in my life that remind me what I have to do all the time. Their names are Becky, Amy, and Norma, and they're always telling me what to do. But when I walk in those first hours before any of them are up, because none of them are morning people, before any of them are up, I don't have to ask anybody what to do because I'm free to focus on what's right there in front of me. When I was a youth pastor, I had two really good friends, both of them F-16 fighter pilots. One of them had been to war, Dave Ron. And I remember Dave and, and Vince Vince went on to be in the astronaut program, Vince Manasso, and I remember asking Dave to talk to me one time, how do fighter pilots, how do you know when you're flying at speeds like Mach 1 or Mach 2 or whatever you fly at, when, you, when you're fighting other and you're flying at each other and you're firing cannons and missiles, how do you think through that, you know? How, if, because if I play golf, I got to remember, I get my feet here, I get my club lined up here, I get my hips right, I look at the club, I look down. I think through all of these things. Those of you that are good golfers, you just walk up there, address the ball, you smack it, you're on the green, and I don't want to play with you, so just don't even ask me to go, okay? But I, I ask, how do you do this? And he says, you can't think about it. It just becomes instinctive. There are things that happen the way the sun gleams. He says, we are trained instinctively to know how to operate these machines. Those aircraft cost millions of dollars, and their lives are invaluable. But they have shaped them, Dave told me, through years in cockpits, in simulators, so they instinctively know what to do in a battle. That's what a habit does for you. When the enemy comes against you, you know instinctively what to do. You don't have to think about a passage of Scripture. It comes to mind. You don't have to think about how to pray. It comes to mind. You just stand up against the enemy and say, I am who God says I am. As we sang this morning, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am free in Christ. I am healed in Christ. I am more than an overcomer in Christ. And I am going to defeat you in the name of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. That's who you are. That's what God's called you to be. And forming those habits in your life instead of saying, oh God, zap it to me right now, then I'll be a good guy. That only works in Hollywood. That only works in make-believe. It comes as we shape and we form those characters in our life. And I'll tell you this, my habits may not be your habits. There's nothing sacred about 
getting up early. There's nothing holy about it. I wish I was just the opposite. Because if I've ever been a guest in your home, and we've stayed much past 8.30, because y'all are talking, I go to sleep. Am I right? Some of you know that's true. I've fallen asleep on a lot of people's couches in this church. Some of you have got a demon in your couch. It just sucks you in and you just, I'm gone. I just lay back and that's it. By the way, if I haven't been to your house to dinner yet, you need to invite me. <laughs> that was not a part of the anointing. But I've eaten in so many homes over the 20 years that I've been your pastor and have enjoyed it. I've had good meals. I've had meals and fellowship because I've desired that. And that's another thing. You've got to be motivated by desire. And that's how you form a habit when you want to go for something better than what you have now. You've got to have a desire. And sometimes we lack what we really want in life because there's no proverbial fire in our belly to have it. If you want to be a passionate follower of Christ, there's got to be this desire birthed within you. And the early church had to learn new intentional habits. And I want you to think about that word as you write it down because you've got to be intentional about the habits that you formed. Intentional means I'm going to do it. I'm committed to doing it. If you'll look with me at Acts 2.42, once again, the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. They devoted themselves. I mean, they were intentional about the teaching of the apostles. They needed what we have now as our New Testament in addition to the Old Testament. They devoted themselves to fellowship or doing life with one another, not just going to the temple and not really knowing. You can't know people in church by looking at the back of their heads. You know, when you're looking at the back of people's heads, you can't really form an opinion. Matter of fact, you may be looking at the back of some people's heads this morning thinking, they're kind of boring. But if you could see them face to face, you'd say, hey, they're kind of exciting to be around. You know, there are no boring people at Woodland Church. They don't stay. <laughs> you know, boring people like to hang out with boring people. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Let's just sit here. Okay. Let's watch the grass grow. Okay, they just don't hang out here. But when you get with people that love Jesus and love life, there's always something that's happening. You can take the Super Bowl and make something wonderful out of it. There are people in our church that came to know Jesus Christ as a result of the Super Bowl. They shared their meals and they prayed together. I want you to look at four intentional habits, teaching, they paid attention to the teaching of the Word of God. Are you paying attention daily to the teaching of the Word? Are you in a small group? Are you doing life with a group of people? You know, the Bible, let me be clear. I pray something and I want you to get it. It's not that I lack confidence, but my pastoral ministry, my preaching ministry is not enough to make a passionate follower of Christ. I, and and I'm, it's not that I don't believe in what I do. It's just it's not enough. Part of what we need is the small groups meeting together where we meet in house to house the way they did in the church. They still met at the temple, but they went house to house. And you may be sitting here thinking, I don't need a small group. Well, you're just wrong. 
okay? I don't mean to be intimidating. I don't mean to be rude, but you're just wrong. The Bible says because you're the hand or you're the eye, you can't see I don't have any need of the foot. You really need everybody else in the body of Christ. And you need a group of people to do life with. And maybe some of you are thinking, well... I really would like to be, but nobody really wants me in their group. And maybe you've been raised around people that put you down. Maybe you have a lot of self-doubts about yourself. I want to tell you something. The Bible says this in the very same chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You're going to love this. Now listen carefully. You're going to love this. The Bible says that those who seem to be the least necessary, they are the most necessary in the body of Christ. Those who seem to be the least important are the most important in the body of Christ. Those that seem to have little value, they have the greatest value in the body of Christ. I am not the most valuable person in the body of Christ, but perhaps you are the most valuable person in the body of Christ at Woodland Church. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? That'll change your self-esteem. That'll change who you think you are. That will build you up to let you know who you are in Jesus Christ. It's more than a song you sing on the screen. It's a way that you live your life. And they broke bread together. They enjoyed their meals together. You know, whenever I go out to eat with somebody, it's never about the food that I'm eating. It's about the people I'm eating with. People always talk about Jesus ate so much and Jesus was always eating. Understand this. It wasn't about the hamburger and french fries they were having. It was about the people he was having a dinner with. He didn't need Zacchaeus' house to have dinner in. He wanted Zacchaeus. And that's the key. And then, of course, praying together. The Bible says that when two or three of us are praying together, Christ is in the midst of us, and nothing is impossible to people who pray And you go to me this morning, and I can almost hear you saying this, so let me talk to you for a moment. You say, Pastor, I have tried to break some of my bad habits in the past. I have tried. I was talking with one of the brothers in our congregation recently, and I said, can can I use your story as an example? He said, yes. He says, he was sharing with me, it's not a sinful habit, but it's just a habit he knows he needs to break. And he said, I've tried. How how do you do this? And I got to tell you, I only know of one way. If it's a habit of tardiness, if it's a habit of, say, like smoking, I know that can be an addictive habit, destructive habit. If it's a, if it's a habit of, 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 of anger, you just fly off the, the, the handle all the time. I only know of one way. Bad habits can be broken by the grace of God. Bad habits can be broken by the grace of God. If you'll put that up for me on the screen there. Bad habits are broken by God's grace. We don't know what happened to him, but Simon of Magnus, he realized in a big hurry, if you've ever read the book of Acts in chapter 8 where Simon offered Peter money so that he could do the works that Peter was doing, and Peter rebuked him. I hope that Simon changed. We don't know the rest of that story. But there is still a law that's associated with his name called simony. Simon was all about money. He was all about using his position for power. I don't know if you've ever dealt with many people that were in the occult. Simon was in the occult. Becky and I have worked with people that are demonized. Becky and I have been into situations in the world where the occult and witchcraft was very strong. I was preaching in another nation, and um, 
we were having success. People were getting saved. I, I, I would like to tell you, but it's not fit. I would tell you in a small group. I would like to tell you some of the things that we saw, but it's just not things that I should say. Things that would happen and what people were doing. I know right out where we were spending the night, a group of witches and warlocks, they were deep into the occult. Everywhere you went, there were satanic symbols. Made an animal sacrifice and made all kinds of chants right outside where we were at that night. You say, did it scare you? No, I slept like a baby. I got up and pled the blood of Jesus. I prayed that God would save them. And all of a sudden, they shut up and left. God answers prayer. In that same community, there was a... There was a brothel. These women were owned. They were being sold. I took a group of new believers with me. We went and stood outside that brothel. And all we did, I said, I don't want you to say anything because if you start saying anything, we're going to be arrested. We don't know the language. I, don't want you to, I just want you to pray. Let's see what God would do. So we stood across the street from a brothel, just a few of us. We began to pray in the name of Jesus, and all of a sudden windows in the brothel started, and there were these people looking out the windows. And suddenly, I had already met the owner of the, of the brothel, and she came out and stood at the front door, and she was looking around. All we were doing was praying quietly. All of a sudden, men that were walking in that brothel would stop and look around and turn around and walk away. And finally, she put two and two together when she recognized and begged us to leave. I want you to know there is more power in following Jesus Christ than you've ever dreamed of before. There is more power in the grace of God than you've ever dreamed of before. And it was my happy privilege to lead some of those people to Christ, some of the women in that brothel, some of the owners of the businesses, some of the people that were involved in the occult. And in one afternoon, Mark Triplin and I baptized over 500 people that had given their hearts to Jesus Christ. There is nothing impossible with God. Can you give the Lord a hand of praise for that? Nothing impossible. Nothing. You don't have to dramatize it. You don't have to make it sensational. You don't have to woo-woo and be afraid. The devil is a defeated devil. The devil belongs to God. You can write a message to the devil on the bottom of your foot and grind it in his face. You are who God says you are. It's time to start forming some new habits of thought, new habits of practice, and new habits of life that are meant to be passionate followers of Christ. Can you say amen? That's what it is. Now look at this passage here, if you would, from the book of Acts chapter 19. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. Now these were people in this chapter that were, were involved in the occult. So the message of the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Why? Because even these people who were involved in occultic things, God set them free. Travel all the way across the world. Dr. Addison, whom I buried just a few weeks ago, Dr. Milford Addison, educated man, two different degrees from two different prestigious universities, asked to be the university president of several colleges, but a great godly man, my mentor, and I love him like a second dad. But Dr. Addison, I asked him to come and to help me with a situation in Belgium. And he encountered the same thing in a city that was so given over to the occult. And I can remember him calling me because I was in Antwerp. And he said, Denny, you would never believe what happened here tonight. God's grace is greater. And it's time we quit thinking that the only place we practice our faith is in this building. Nothing would scare hell worse than you to go out of here this morning with a habit 
habits of grace firmly entrenched in your life, knowing that God wants to use you every place you put your feet. What happened in Acts can happen here. Do you believe that? It can happen here. But we first of all got to understand we may have to change. We may have to change. Every year, roughly 600,000 people in America have a heart bypass. Every year, 600,000 people. This is what their surgeons say. You've got to change your lifestyle. This is just a temporary fix. You've got to change your diet. You've got to quit smoking. You've got to quit drinking. You've got to exercise. You've got to reduce stress. In other words, the doctors are saying to them, you've got to change or die. And shockingly, 90% of them choose death. 90% of the heart patients do not change. They remain the same, doing the same habits. They refuse to break their old habits. Two years after their heart surgeries, they've not altered their behavior. Friends, instead of making a change for life, they chose death. You have got a decision to make this morning. Will you choose life? Will you choose some habits that will make you the person that God called you to be? God's grace is available to help you break an old habit. It. Cry out to God. Pray to God. Ask your small group to pray with you. You can learn a new habit. It takes one step at the time, one day at the time. Don't try to be somewhere that you can't be until you learn to grow the habit. I was in the gym just recently, and I have had to wrestle all of my life with beliefs that have limited me by growing up as crippled and being called crippled and being told crippled and being told you're going to die, being mocked. And these last surgeries that I had, they still aggravate me because I'm not supposed to lift but just a limited amount of weight. And I was praying about that one day. I called my son and I said, son, I need you to help me pray about something. And so we were praying and, and we got to talking and I called another friend of mine who was a bodybuilder and I told him, this is just frustrating me. I can't lift and I'm afraid as I get older that my core is going to get soft. I'm not going to be able to play with my grandchildren. It might hinder me in my ministry. And suddenly, all three of these men that I called, they all called to say, say, don't try to lift more weight. Just lift the weight you're lifting more. So I lift over and over and over and over and over again. And the other day at the gym, this guy came up to me. Who ever, remember I told you, somebody's always watching you. Somebody is always watching you. He came over to me and he says, sir, you know you're old when people call you sir. He says, sir... You're not going to get any more muscle if you don't start lifting more weights. I've been watching you. He says, you lift the same thing. You don't have to lift so many times to build muscle. I looked at him. I said, sir, I've had over 40 major surgeries. I'm legally classified as crippled. I have no muscles right here anymore. That's why I'm lifting. He says, you're doing real good, dude. Stay with it. You see... You don't have to worry about what other people think. If they knew your story, they would be saying to you, you're doing real good, dude. Stick with it. God is going to say to you, well done, dude. Enter thou into the blessedness of the Lord. Well, come on, victory. You see, we've got to tear down these limiting beliefs in our lives that are hindering us from being what God called us to be. We've got to start saying what God has called us and what God says about us. Those truths will set you free. Call those liberating truths. Philippians 1.6 says that God will finish the work 
in you. God will finish the work in you if you trust him. And then finally, and Becky, if you'll come on up to the piano this morning, good habits, they're powerful practices that they're consistent and they take you forward in life. They're powerful and they're consistent. Now here's a question I want to ask you before I read you one more verse of Scripture and we go to our growth work and we're going to do something very different this morning. I'm going to ask you to come and join me at the altar and we're going to pray together because I really believe this is a timely word for our church. I want you to look at that word consistent and take you forward. Consistent and take you forward. God called me to preach I struggled and I said God I can't do that I, I can't people laugh at me all the time as it is when I came and to the church one day when I was just a young boy and I say I was a young man I came in and I knelt at an altar all by in an old church that doesn't mean it's a parking lot now. I knelt at the altar and I told God all the reasons that I couldn't. I don't know how long I was there, but I remember when I got done praying. There was one verse of scripture that sometimes people say without any meaning, but to me it means everything one verse of scripture that burned in my heart and my mind. I can do all things through Christ and what strengthens me. Years later, I'm in Fitzgerald, Georgia. Fitzgerald is a beautiful little town, believe it or not, founded by Yankee soldiers that after the Civil War was over, they decided they didn't want to come back up here. So they built a whole brand new town and named it after their general. That's how Fitzgerald, Georgia got established. But I was in Fitzgerald. I was kneeling in an old Sunday school classroom, struggling again with something God had called me to do. God has this way of making you confront those things that you believe about yourself that just aren't true. praying every scripture that I could think of. The Bible says that I am, that you are in Christ Jesus. And it's another one of those mile marker moments in my life. I wrote a question down then. This question I want to ask you. Where do I want to be one year from now? Where do you want to be? I mean, ask yourself this question. And I just, I want to pastor for just a moment, not preach. Where do you want to be six months from now? If you can't answer that question, where do you want to be? Then I really want you to come and spend some time in this altar this morning. Because it means you've lost your vision for life. But if you can answer that question, where do I want to be six months? Where do I want to be a year? Where do I want to be five years from now? Then you've got vision but maybe you're asking yourself what a man in the church asked me yesterday. How come I'm not getting to where I want to be? Maybe you need some new habits. So I begin asking about some of his habits. He says, no, no. If you want to develop
developing these habits, then you've got to start taking some baby steps towards them. But what do you want? Is it with your finances? Is it with your children's education? Is it with your marriage? Is it with your career? Is it with ministry or the church? Is it with being a small group? Where do you want to be? And if you can answer that question, then maybe we can help you discover some new habits. The pulpit is not a place for teaching David Allen's getting things done. The pulpit is not a place for Gretchen Rubin's book, Breaking Old Habits and Building New Habits. Obviously, these are books that I recommend. The pulpit's not a place for preaching James Clear's new book, Atomic Habits. The pulpit's not a place for preaching Charles Duhigg's book, The Power of Habits. Everything I've taught you hasn't come from any of those books, but it has come from the Word of God. But those are resources, and we'll be happy to help you develop those new habits. But I'm asking you in particular, where do you want to be? Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything connected with the old way of life, it's got to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it and take on the entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life. A life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct is God accurately reproduces His character. Would you come join me at the altar this morning? And let's just crowd in around this place. Everyone come. If you're our guest, please don't feel like you have to come, but I'm just, if you want to come, I want to pray with you. We're going to walk through these five growth work questions and we're just going to pray over them. up at the screen. I'm just going to read it one time and then we're going to pray. Ask yourself, is it time to implement some new habits of faith? Are there some new habits of devotion, of prayer, church attendance, ministry? Maybe you need to put yourself in that place underneath the windows of heaven where you put God first in your finances. Maybe you need to have a habit of just praying with your wife or praying with your husband. Or if you're a single person, having a prayer partner. I, you know, I love Becky, but I've had several prayer partners in my life besides the pastors and the board. So Father, right now, I'm asking you in the name of Jesus, if there are some new habits that we need to establish, God, we know what it means to set a goal and not reach it. I'm not talking about a goal this morning. I'm talking about a consistent way of life that will take us forward. Lord, that before there is food in my stomach, there is food for my soul. Before there's a conversation on the phone, there's a conversation with you. Before there's a conversation with Becky, Lord, there's a conversation with you. 
Lord, that the last thing that I look at at night is not Facebook, or it's not my phone, but Lord, it's, it's the Word of God so that I go to sleep with the Word breathing in my mind. God, maybe my habits aren't the habits they need, but God, let them have a visitation of the Holy Spirit in their hearts this morning. Look at the second question. Do I need a breakthrough? I mean, has, has your faith gone stale? Has your marriage gone stale? Do you feel like your, your, career, your career is stagnated? You're in a flat place? Do you feel like maybe spiritually you've been on a plateau for way too long and maybe you even feel like you're starting to backslide a little bit and you want to move forward in faith? Do you need a breakthrough? Then let's cry out to the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father God, in the name of Jesus, you have said, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will answer you. You have said, when you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. You want to be found by every person in this altar. You want to be found by this pastor, Lord. And so I'm praying in the name of Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, give us a breakthrough this morning. As the early church would record those times when the Holy Spirit would shake the place where they were gathering, I ask you to shake us, Lord, in our families, in our congregation, Lord, wherever we go. God, I don't want to just say it as a word, but give us a breakthrough. In Jesus' name I pray. Say amen if you agree. You know, the third reason that some people never form good habits is it's hard for them to forgive and let go of the past. You may be hurting. Somebody may have wounded you and you've never talked to them about it. You may have someone that you can no longer talk to. They've already gone, but you still need to forgive. Maybe you've just fooled yourself into thinking you've forgiven, but you're always reminding the person that you've forgiven, you forgave them. You never want them to forget you forgave them. You know what I mean? You're like that woman who made a mistake, and she says, my husband forgave me, but he never lets me forgive it. forget it. Jesus says, sometimes you've got to leave your gift at the altar, and you've got to go. You've got to make things right. Maybe you need to seek forgiveness. So Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, I'm sure there's not a person here that's been wounded or hurt at sometimes in the past. God, we do that to one another. Sometimes we do it without intending to. So I pray right now for the grace to let it go. To forgive for relationships to be rebuilt, for trust to be rebuilt, God. Don't let anyone leave thinking they've just got to trust all over again, but trust can be rebuilt and free us from the hold that has on our past. For Lord Jesus, you forgave us a much greater debt than we could ever forgive anybody else. to listen. You may forgive and some people won't let it go. You may ask for forgiveness and some people won't let it go. That's on them. That's not on you. 
Even Jesus, when he was hanging between two thieves, one believed in him and one didn't. One said, remember me, and one cursed him. That's why Paul says, as much as possible, to live in peace with others. Amen? And then fourthly today, don't you dare say this is impossible. When Jesus says all things are possible with God. Whatever it is you need, wherever you want to be, wherever God is stirring your heart, where you want to be in six months or a year, would you commit that to the Lord right now? And would you commit who you are in Christ right now to the Lord? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank Him that you're the righteousness of God in Christ. Thank Him that you're loved by God in Christ. Thank Him that you are filled with His Holy Spirit in Christ. Thank Him that you are a necessary part of the body of Christ. Thank Him this morning that you are a part of the army of Christ. Thank Him that you're forgiven in Christ. Thank Him that you can do all things in Christ. Thank Him this morning. circumstances if God says go you and I ever say no let's follow him with all of our hearts now Jesus I just seal this time as we gather around this altar in prayer God whatever the habits that we need to discover help us to see they free us to focus Lord, I pray that whatever new habits we need to get established in our lives, Jesus, they help us to become who you've called us to be. And may they become a second nature to us as flying a fighter jet was to David Vince. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Hallelujah. You're saying, let it be. That's what amen means. Now, here's what I want you to do. Will you do this for me? My email is real simple. Pastor at woodland.church. Pastor at woodland.church. No .net, no .com, just woodland.church. Pastor at woodland.church. If you're going to start a new habit, I want to be your prayer partner. I won't tell anybody, but would you send it to me? I won't even share it with the staff. But I pray for families in this church every single day. And I'm going to pray with you. If you need to break a habit, and I mean, you know there's some habits that need to go. Maybe staying up too late. Maybe watching things you shouldn't watch on the internet. Would you just send, I promise you I'll never share it. Would you send me? Because I want to pray with you. There's power in us agreeing. Then I'd like you to send me where do I want to be one year from now. Where do I want to just say December 3rd? Where do you want to be? Because what I want to do is periodically through the year encourage you how you can get what God has put upon your heart you can accomplish in Jesus' name. Is that right? What God has put upon your heart you can accomplish. God would not put it on your heart if you could. You can't do it by yourself. You can only do it through Christ and you can only do it with the body of Christ. Amen? Let's give him a hand of praise for that. Amen. Hallelujah. Say it with me. Say it with me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the righteousness.
righteousness of God in Christ. Say, I am healed in Christ. I am called in Christ. I am planted in Christ. I am firm in Christ. I am more than a conqueror in Christ. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. I am what God says I am. Now, let me tell you, I'm not being dramatic. I'm going to tell you why that's important. Because when God revealed himself to his people, when God revealed himself to Moses, he said, tell them that I am that I am has sent me. And you are who you are in Christ today. That's what makes I am so powerful in Jesus' name. God bless you. You're dismissed. I love you.